Max, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Um, for the audience uh, watching or listening at home, you are a uh, an officer in the Dutch military, but you're also studying for your doctorate and you're focusing on Russia, military doctrine, that kind of, kind of explain that, your, your academic path to our audience. Yeah, well, uh, so part of my, um, well, I, I maybe sometimes identify as a, a soldier scholar. I've previously had quite an operational career in the Dutch Armed Forces, um, but then at a certain moment, I switched uh, more to also um, the academic uh, career path. So uh, part of uh, getting my master's degree um, in military strategic studies, I studied um, a lot of topics uh, from the perspective of the Russian Federation. So I studied Russian strategic culture, uh, Russian coercive diplomacy, strategic um, uh, deterrence, all kinds of stuff. Russian council did some case studies. So I built up some knowledge about the Russian Federation. Um, but my uh, doctorate program, it's a whole different ballgame. Um, I'm studying uh, insurgencies and irregular warfare and similarities between insurgencies and state formation. So it's it's your path in academia that's kind of brought you to me. You had written an article for the Modern War Institute. Um, it came out in March of 23, um, but I, I still think it holds true for the most part today. It was about the theory of Russian victory. We're talking about, you know, military victory in Ukraine. Um, from, but that's a Western perspective, right? In your article, you talk about Russia has different different types of victories. There's political victories, you know, actual military victories. Can you kind of talk about, in general terms, the theory of, of Russian victory and warfare? Yeah, so I, I found it very interesting because there was, especially uh, last year, um, when I wrote the article, there was a lot of talk about uh, Russia losing the war in Ukraine and uh, not being able to achieve a victory. But then I thought back about um, uh, all the research I did for my master's degree, and I thought, well, from the Russian perspective, there are like um, different categories in uh, victory uh, in war. And uh, first of all, war is like a uh, political confrontation with the use of uh, violence. So that's already very important because the, the political part is imperative um, in war and warfare. Um, and then looking from that perspective, you have like four possible outcomes in a war. And the highest achievable is a political victory. Below that lies a military victory. Below that lies a military defeat. And below that lies a political defeat. And it's that uh, ranking that uh, defines also the importance. And there's not necessarily a uh, causality between a military victory and a political victory. Because if you uh, suffer a military defeat, but you are Ill still able to create a political narrative that implies a political victory, um, then it's that last, last thing that counts, um, the political victory. So there is a correlation between military victories and a political victory, but no causality. Okay. So then to make it more practical, um, you can suffer defeats on the battlefield, but still uh, achieve a political victory in war. Would you say that's what's happening in Ukraine right now? That they, that Russia is suffering. Yeah, I, I think that that's. I think it's it's uh, very interesting and really important to uh, try to look at the proceedings of the war also from a Russian perspective, and it requires like uh, what is called strategic empathy, uh, which is definitely.
ultimately not sympathy, but empathy requires you to get into the line of thinking of your adversary and um, figure out his reasoning and his perspective on a matter. And from that perspective, what I wrote down in the article is that I think the the goal of the uh, Russian leadership in Ukraine is not so much about getting as lot as, as much uh, territory as possible or to recreate the Russian uh, Tsarist empire or to keep NATO away from the borders. These are all maybe contributing factors and useful in a narrative. But I think for the Russian leadership, the biggest threat in Ukraine lies in Ukraine uh, adopting a different political and economic system. And I think that the threat of Ukraine versus Russia is Ukraine becoming a uh, democracy with a free market economy. Because of these the, the uh, similarities between especially the Eastern Ukraine, Ukrainian people and uh, the Russian people, if the Russian people see that adopting a different political and economic system can bring them more freedom and prosperity, and that they aren't necessarily deterministically bound by a narrative that the people suffer and uh, serve the state, then that might cause some instability in Russia because people start questioning the Russian authoritarian rule and the um, oligarchic uh, economy that is currently uh, uh, active in the country. So I, I think that Ukraine becoming a, a prosperous democracy poses a internal threat to Russia for internal stability. And then if you look from that perspective, a Russian political victory uh, would imply that they want to deny Ukraine from becoming a uh, democracy with a free market economy. And if that's the highest achievable goal, then your military efforts should um, reach that effect. And then if you look at the current situation, um, with the current front line being uh, quite static at the moment, Russia has managed to decrease Ukrainian GDP by about 30%. They have managed to uh, decrease Ukrainian export by about, uh, I think, two thirds, almost uh, 67%. And inflation in Ukraine is quite high. And in fact, the whole economy has become dependent on international aid. So um, Ukraine be getting a flourishing economy isn't possible as long as this war effort is continuing. Um, and on the other hand, Ukraine, I think, has uh, written down in its constitution that as long as the country is in a state of emergency or in fact at war, no democratic elections uh, should be held. And uh, there was a lot of discussion by the end of last year whether Zelensky should hold elections or not. In the end, I think he decided not to do so. And if you mirror that to the, in my opinion, Russian goals of Ukraine not becoming a, a democracy and not getting a uh, viable, flourishing economy, it is exactly what they are achieving at this moment by continuing the war effort. Yeah, it's hard to say you uh, have a democracy if you're not going to hold the democratic vote, right? Yeah, and I, I, I don't want to judge his decisions. Of sure. course, there, there are but lots from, but from of the Russian propaganda factors. perspective. Like, we stopped, we stopped their vote, so that's the first brick. I mean, from from Russia's perspective, 
that's the first brick to fall to tearing down the democracy. Stop the exactly. You you see that uh, Zelensky's political opponents, his political opposition, they questioned his decision not to hold elections anymore. And you also see that the immediate reaction in Russia by Putin was that he uh, would make himself eligible again for the elections in Russia. Uh, I think that will be held this year. So they are more or less providing a contrast uh, between Ukraine not holding elections anymore and Russia, despite the ongoing operations in Ukraine still holding elections with which they create the narrative of Russia being the true democracy. I'm going to put Russia holding a democratic vote in quotes. like it's, In quotes, uh, of course. <laughs> of course. Voter, yeah. we're going to shoot you. Um, there, there's um, In your article, we talked about the um, different types of victory a little bit, the political versus military, and, and you ranked them a little bit. But it, it reminded me of a line that you have that victory for the Russians, victory in war is more subjective appreciation than an objectively measurable fact. And I think that's just such a great line, right? Because it's not necessarily about how many tanks Russia has lost or about how many men Russia has lost, you know, a couple hundred thousand, 300,000 or so at this point. Um, but the uh, the subjective appreciation of we stopped Ukraine doing from what we wanted it to do. And that's really, that's a long that's a long game play, right? And and maybe Russia understands American society, Western society. We don't have the attention span for that. So it was always just a matter of waiting us out. What do you think? Yeah, I, th I think there's a lot uh, in what you're saying. Um, because uh, first of all, the, the declared objectives of the Russian leadership uh, might uh, differ from their true objectives. Because uh, first of all, of course, it. it what I think is the Russian goal of the or the goal of the Russian leadership in Ukraine, they can't declare that openly to their own population, right. saying, well, guys, we need you to fight and suffer in Ukraine because we don't want to let them become an example to you what might provide a better life for you. So first, there's declared goals and there's true goals. But if the declared goal is that, well, uh, Ukraine is becoming a, a Nazi state and the West um, is uh, misguiding them and we need to keep NATO away from our borders, etc. So that that might fit a narrative which is already decades, even ages long of Russia being the de besieged country by the West and all kinds of enemies that are surrounding it and that are always trying to invade Russia. So that, that's like a narrative to uh, create towards the population. And then it becomes very interesting because this, this narrative, it's really important um, in, for example, the Russian culture. And that then the subjective part uh, kicks in. Because we, I think in the West, always when we uh, engage in conflicts or in wars, we, we try to quantify the outcome. Mm -hmm. I, I occupied your country or I destroyed your military or you suffered so many losses while I'll suffered uh, so many losses. So you or I um, uh, won this war. But in other cultures, it might be a very subjective matter and it might be the, the long term uh, political narrative that stands that defines who has won the war instead of the short term focus on who has gained or lost uh, the most. And I, I think that's that's like the the strength an autocracy like Russia has with an authoritarian rule that they are, are able to influence public opinion a lot, uh, create a narrative and 
just saturate the population with this narrative and then just just sit out the war and of course we have elections every so uh, so many years and then this whole uh, starts again about supporting the war effort yes or no you bet so you and i talked a little bit before the actual interview we talked a little bit about ways forward uh for ukraine and you you mentioned ukraine's really if you know what happens on land is going to happen on land the the battle lines are kind of static but if ukraine can secure black sea shipping lanes and can secure the exports then you think that's really the path out for ukraine can you kind of speak a little bit to that yeah I think it's it's really interesting. I think it's uh, Sun Tzu, um, the the Chinese uh, warrior philosopher. Sure. Um, he wrote that what is of the utmost importance in war is to attack the enemy's strategy. Um, but I think we are focused now too much on attacking the Russian armed forces. So we are supplying Ukraine with more weapons, uh, more funding to attack uh, Russian armed forces and to push the Russian army out of uh, the, the borders of Ukraine. But that's not really attacking the Russian strategy because if Russia's true goal is to deny Ukraine from becoming an, uh, a democracy and uh, deny them from getting a viable self-sustaining economy, then that's exactly what you need to do. Strategy implies letting Ukraine become a true democracy against all odds, but showing that despite Russia's efforts, they still can hold elections, they still have a true uh, democracy with opposition, etc. And the other thing is to get that economy uh, viable again. And that means that uh, you need, I think, to um, get Ukrainian export uh, through the Black Sea open again. So that, that requires a more maritime strategy than a land-focused uh, strategy focused at the moment at restoring the borders. So I think maybe it, it might be an option to uh, open up sea lanes through the Black Sea to get the Ukrainian export uh, up and running again, because then you might start the engine of the economy again. And if the economy starts flourishing again, Ukraine might be able to set up its own its industrial basis to continue the war effort on its own. Because at the moment, um, international support has been a strength, a true asset for the Ukrainians, but it shouldn't become a liability um, if it falls away that the Ukrainians aren't able to continue the war effort uh, on their own anymore, because it, it it would create a devastating situation for them should there be negotiations or uh, or whatever. They might even be forced to negotiate, even though they don't want to, if they can't continue the war effort by themselves. The article that you wrote for Modern War Institute came out about a year ago. You wrote it before that. So, you know, if, if our audience wants to go and read it, I would highly, highly encourage them to. But... From from when you authored the piece to now, do you have any any new insights? Is there anything that you wrote that you said, yes, I was absolutely right about that? Or oh, maybe I should have updated this part of it. I mean, a year on, how do you think uh, the article stands? I, I think, in my opinion, it's it still stands. Um, I think a lot of declared goals, uh, like 
pushing back NATO or um, su suggested goals by Western analysts that Putin wants to create a legacy by restoring the Tsarist uh, empire again. I think it's all narratives. I think the the true reason why the Russians are so interested in Ukraine and denying it from becoming a democracy and a viable economy, it's really pragmatic because just that will be a danger for Russian internal stability. Because Russia often, if there's a, a, a catastrophic change in the country uh, or a drastic change, it comes from within. The Russian Revolution, the fall of the Soviet Union, it was all from inside. And not so much, um, it was outside threats were a catalyst, but the true change came from inside. And I think a prosperous democratic Ukraine might pose the same threat for Russian internal stability. Um, and it still holds. And I, I think the, the difficult thing is that at the moment, with the war effort, um, the Russians, I think, have Ukraine in like a, a strangle. Um, like if, if you engage in the stock market, you can uh, create a, a strangle with options. If Ukraine continues the war effort, it plays into the Russian game because it will mean that Ukraine probably won't be able to become a true democracy uh, with free elections and political opposition, and their economy will still be very hampered. But if they want to stop the war effort, it will probably mean that they need to accept that at least part of the countries will be under Russian occupation for a very long time. So that will be a win from the Russian perspective as well. And I think that's a very difficult situation at this moment uh, that the Ukrainians are positioned in especially seeing that they have become so dependent on international aid. So I, I think to answer your question short, I think this, this Russian strategy and this theory of victory still stand. And we, we really need to look for options to attack the Russian strategy instead of the armed forces, just the armed forces. Well, Max, hopefully uh, the powers that be will listen to you. And in a couple of months, uh, we can circle back and there will be a completely different narrative to talk about, right? I mean, we can hope for that, right? <laughs> maybe <laughs> all right sir uh really so, well, appreciate thanks it. for having me yeah absolutely sir uh really appreciate it um and seriously i, I want to have you back on the show and, and interview you again in a few months if you're up for it i'm happy to comply with that so you all know right. how to reach me <laughs>